pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Welcome to another episode of Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Carr, joined by my fellow former Noir Brethren, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining E's longest-running podcast as we talk about the big stories affecting New Eden today. And boy, do we have some big ones. The first is a major update in the Great War, the latest of the Great Wars between Fraternity, Winter Coalition, and Pandemic Horde, PanFam, versus... Are they B3 now? B4? How many Bs in the Brave <laughs> Coalition? Uh, backed up by the Imperium. Yeah, now this, there was an eventful... Uh, uh, was this something like the eighth time they hit the shields on the uh, the infamous X-47 Keepstar? Um, and there was a tally going on Reddit, you know, showing how many times the shields have been attacked, but they hadn't been followed up on. And, uh, well, of course, then we had Easter weekend. <laughs> And the stars were right. Um, I guess the the holidays made it a little more possible to turn up for the what I'm sure are awkward timers for most people. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was a brawl. Like for me, it was like well, seven a.m., eight a.m. on a on a Friday, which normally would be you know out of bounds for me. But of course, because it was a day off. I was logging in at about nine a.m. Quite happily sat there. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll go into what else <laughs> later on, but yeah, wow. So each side essentially had about 3,200, 3,300 pilots apiece, so numbers were fairly even. Obviously, the defenders had their keep star, defenders being fraternity, and strategically, this keep star was the last major beachhead that they'd had in pure blind. Their, their uh, crown jewel of their offensive against Brave and Volta to this point they could point to that keep star and be like, look, you know, we've we've got this strategic outpost in your space. You can't move it. We can constantly attack you if we wanted to. Imperium rolled back their offensive everywhere except here. This was the one that held strong. This is the one that Fraternity had been building their defense around repeatedly. And yeah, uh, that has finally fallen. And I think... We're sort of at an interesting point in this war. We'll talk about the fight itself, and then we'll talk about the implications. Uh, fight itself, pretty bloody. Um, I think it was about a trillion, a little over a trillion killed, all told, which is a huge amount of money. It was a very, very long, drawn-out affair. I mean, we're talking, like, if we just talk straight away about the armor timer, because that's really where the battle was, isn't it? You know, the kill was, was something else. That armor timer, I mean, I think there was something like five armor plates on this Keepstar or something like that. And, um, well, it took a long time to burn through that armor. I mean, there was a number of factors at play. One, you got the tie-dye. So, as I've mentioned before, if you've got a Keepstar, the timer's ticking down in real time, and you've got to get on grid, you've got to lock the thing up, you've got to put enough damage on it to pause that timer uh, in tie-dye, which is a bit of a feat in itself. Um, and then, and you know, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but on that subject, uh, downtime. Uh, 
So then you've got to account for downtime. You've got to log enough people in after downtime to get back on the thing and to lock it up again and shoot it again and pause that armor timer before that timer ticks down in real time. So you've got to do that twice in this situation, defend, um, attacking this over, over the course of, um, you know, over the downtime period. So uh, those two factors, I think, were, you know, initially what, what prevented this happening before. And the fact that uh, this time Imperium and friends managed to get over the line and, well, I think it was paused after downtime. It was like one minute 40 or something left um, in real time. You know, they had to keep that. There was no way they could allow that to take down anymore. Um, well, I, I, there's many, much more to say about this fight, but that on its own was uh, was an interesting thing. Well, a key bit is you have to do that entire process that Zero just described, assuming the server itself will allow you to, which was a big factor in this fight. A lot of disconnects, a lot of tie-dye, a lot of lag. You had fleets uh, basically having to re-log every 30 to 45 minutes. And that relogging under those conditions is a roll of the dice at best. And all these problems really benefit the defender because if the attacker is not able to keep that critical mass of damage on the timer, then it, it ticks down and every couple seconds adds to that potential victory. I mean, they had to split their damage between the keep star and the defending forces. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of, of, like napkin math going on here, isn't it? You know, this went on. Um, I think like the fighting really kicked off around about eight eight a.m. for me in my time. Um, I remember like it was around about seven p.m. when I um docked up, and I I left my computer about three times to you know for comfort reasons the entire time. Um, and and the time flew for me, which was uh, interesting because uh you know normally in tie dye that bad you kind of start clock watching at some point. But no, it was eventful throughout. And what role were you flying in this fight, Zero? So for me, I was in um, uh, Interdictor, and uh, my job was um, to mind gates and to manage traffic. So I ended up um, either in X-47 or um, in JTAC-C a lot of the time. And that gate management is what allowed... Um, a few things to happen. Um, one was that, of course, reinforcements from the op- opposition, in this case being fraternity for me, um, were difficult. It was difficult for, ter- for fraternity to, you know, bring anything in. Same with pandemic horde, um, because we had control of the gates. And the second thing, you may have heard a rumor of some large ships being gated into that system. Well, of course, that wouldn't have happened if you didn't have, like, effectively, you know, control of the gates, allowing, you know, people to bring huge assets in. And I think that's that's part of what sort of swung the tide in the end. Was the lag, so you mentioned going into J6, the adjacent system, was the lag felt there as well, or was it contained to X47? It's interesting, because when you're actually in JTAXI next door, everything's fine. But it's getting in and leaving JTAXI that's the problem. So... If you're in the system, everything seems to be working fine for you. But loading grid, in say if you leave the system that's t- heavily tie-dyed and you leave that and you go into the adjacent system, you could be there stuck for ages trying to load grid the other side, which doesn't seem that intuitive, but it is true. And also le- sort of leaving JTAXI into X-47 is also a problem because X-47 was heavily tie-dyed. So you had a lot of action on that gate. And um, at one point after downtime, um, there were lots of people trying to go into 
uh, X forty seven through like J Taxi, and they were finding that they were fine in J Taxi, but when they tried to jump into X forty seven, well, that node wasn't online yet for a good 10, 15 minutes. So there were lots of people sort of queuing, trying to get into a system that wasn't actually online. And those conditions, you just sort of have that tunnel, right? Yeah, you get um, the tunnel and then eventually a black screen and then a wait and some noises and some suggestions that things might be happening and then eventually the grid will load. But even then, you know, just doing anything, the first thing you have to do is uh, move or decloak. Because um, if you try and do anything before you decloak, then the game will allow you to queue up a lot of commands. And then once the um, tie-dye uh, sort of catches up with you, it'll say, oh, sorry, you can't do any of those things because uh, you're, you're cloaked and you're, uh, you're, <laughs> you're invulnerable. <laughs> so you really have to remember to do things in the correct order. Yeah, it's, uh, I think tie-dye fighting is itself a whole almost separate discipline of EVE combat because a lot of the norm, I mean, theoretically everything you do goes through, but slower, but in practice it requires an incredibly different approach to your thinking, to how you're prioritizing commands, the kind of um, snap reaction flying that a lot of small gang warfare pilots specialize into does not translate well into this environment. It's yeah, definitely can, a different beast. You can see things coming in and and landing on you in warp, and you can try to double click to react to it, but you get no immediate feedback from your ship. Can't. It's difficult to describe if you've never experienced it, but it is maddening. <laughs> like in really heavy tie you can use um, the these menus you can look at, and then you can see the the queued commands that you've got, like pending commands. Then, if you want, um, but it, it, sometimes you forget, you know it'll say things like activate. Okay, you've queued to activate something. You're thinking, okay, yeah, but what, what was I activating again? Um, uh, or, or like some some commands will look a bit strange. Like if you approach a gate from distance, it'll say things like, um, I forget the terminology, but it says something like um, approaching blob or something. And you're thinking, well, uh, it's computer speak, but uh, you get used to it in the end and you can sort of, um, you can start to see like, okay, it's taking two and a half minutes for this to happen. It's taking three minutes for that to happen. And you can start to get into a bit of a flow of it. Um, I, I personally haven't tried multi-boxing in, under those conditions, but uh, and I feel like I could start doing that now. Um, maybe with you know, multiple ships of the same role or something. Oh, I've got to believe it's it's way easier to multi-box under those conditions. Yeah, I ages think, to switch between your clients. Yeah, I think it's fine once you know how to do it because it's... It's a skill in initially, isn't it, in itself, um, to, to manage the tie-dye. And then once you know how it works and what kind of interesting things it'll throw at you, then, then yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah. It's, all right, let's talk about the, the consequences of this, because I think this is where it gets particularly interesting. Propaganda-wise... Fraternity have held out X Four Seven as the proof that their offensive has been successful, despite, let's be honest, a, a series of either setbacks or victories, depending on which side you're looking at. Um, the Imperium coming north and getting involved in the fighting has very materially switched the momentum of this war. It is now definitely in the defenders' favor. 
they've been rolling back Fraternity's gains pretty consistently up until X47. X47 was the wall that the wave continued to crash against unsuccessfully until it eventually did break it down. And that's the stage that we're at now. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you to give away any elite military secrets from the Imperium, but what are you hearing from the morale in the Imperium? What are the pilots looking at as a next step here? Because they have a real strategic crossroads. They could reasonably claim victory. Hey, we've repelled the fraternity invasion, and then like that's that's good enough for now. Fraternity, on the other hand, has definitely seemed to have taken a more defensive posture. They're not, as far as I'm aware, looking to push forward in a serious way. I think they're expecting an attack. Whether or not it comes, who knows? But they could, they could say that you know the the offensive is over. I think they're unlikely to, just for face saving purposes. But it's difficult to make any other conclusion based on where everything lies. So, what's the word on the ground from the pilots? I think morale is excellent. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, um, this could have gone on for a few more weeks. Uh, this sort of, you know, trying to kill this keep star. And that that would have been fine, you know. I'm sure there would have been other things going on as well. It wouldn't have just been this for weeks, but um, if people were prepared for this to take a long time, and it hasn't taken that long, so that's that's great. And you know, people are just happy joining fleets, and FCs are just happy being FCs. And you know, that's all I know because beyond that, everything's much more, you know, cloak and dagger hidden behind curtains. Um, but you know, people are just just happy to be out and shooting each other. Even I think the other side to some extent, some of the other people that I see the chat in local is all very positive. But that's not that's not fraternity. I don't see much from them. And I think for fraternity, this this says, um, well, look, these keep stars are not invulnerable. I mean, even though they are in, in Chinese time zone, even though they are set so the time has come out before downtime, to give you that extra downtime tank in, if you will, well, it's been shown now that's there is a way around that, that, you know, it, it can be defeated. And, um, you know, if you're willing to, and even with, with Sino Jam in, in system and things like that. So I think overall, um, I wonder more about the impact on morale for fraternity, uh, not so much for pandemic horde and, and things, I think, because they, they've, well, they've had the fun poked at them on, uh, on Reddit. Obviously people have seen that and I'm sure they're a bit frustrated, but, more, I think, fraternity, I wonder about them and what, what this means for them. And we, it may be a while before we get that uh, fraternity being Chinese language, much like the Russian alliances of old. It's a little hard to get into their internal politics. Although I will have to say their their leadership pings have been pretty routinely posted to Reddit and translated. So we'll see, probably sooner rather than later. But. Yeah, and I haven't seen much. Um, you know, I've seen lots of screenshots of... Um, pandemic horde discords but nothing really from fraternity and they, they seem to have gone a bit quiet and i i'm not surprised i mean you know what what would you do yeah it's it's an embarrassing situation there's there's no getting around it and we've talked about it on the show a couple times before the they picked a fight with brave and volta and initially with volta but then went through brave because brave was literally physically in the way uh with the invasion route that they chose and they expected to steamroll them, and it just didn't happen. Uh, there was a dogged defense from the B2. Now B2's got what's left of Fire Co. 
And now the Imperium is directly backing them up. Imperium kind of aligning itself against fraternity in a more strategic sense in a way that, I mean, theoretically, Frat came down to to help test with World War B2, but in practice, they never actually materialized. They've always sort of been more aloof in that situation, content to let Horde and Test of those guys and Imperium clash with each other. Uh, they avoided most of the painful losses in fighting to farm up their risk with the Renning Empire. It's, I mean, for as big as they are, for the amount of military might that they can throw around to not be able to accomplish evicting a relatively newbie-friendly alliance like Brave, it, it's not like Imperium jumped to their defense immediately. They've been fighting basically Brave and Volta by themselves with some you know, uh, foreign legion support from various parts of EVE that don't like Fraternity very much or really like Brave a lot, but so have not been able to make progress against them. Yeah, absolutely. For an alliance that big, there's no, there's no spinning it, there's no amount of propaganda. Absolutely, because Imperium are there, because Horde are there is one one angle you could look at, isn't it? You know, if Horde and and NC Dot and Pandemic Legion were not around in or not routinely and actively regularly involved in this, then you, you'd expect that um perhaps it would be fraternity versus B three. Perhaps. And yeah, I mean because I, I don't, I, I, own, I, I honestly think that the only reason it's got this big is because you've got the two other big groups, you know, fighting each other. They love to fight each other. Imperium and, and I mean, Horde. Fraternity pulled Horde in first, right? They absolutely, yeah. They yeah. asked um, for the Horde Sig support. Eventually, they paid for a stronger commitment. Yeah, it was um, Halloween last year. Fraternity had seemed to have had enough of hitting their the heads against a, a brick wall with with um, the war against Brave and, and Volta, and they effectively tagged in, um, you know, Pandemic Horde and Pandemic Legion's um, Foreign Legion thing, yeah, yeah, being Foreign Legion. You know, Fraternity left, um, Pandemic Horde and Pandemic Legion arrived, allegedly to third party on the fight between Fraternity and Brave, but with Fraternity gone, it was just Pandemic Horde, Pandemic Legion, shooting Brave and Volta for, for a few months, up until about Christmas. And then um, Fraternity came back and, and Horde sort of left again. But once the stuff down south resolved, um, they uh, admitted then to paying Pandemic Horde to go and go and do the same thing again, perhaps with more malice this time. And now it's Fraternity and Horde versus Brave, and that's when Imperium got involved. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I don't I would hate to be Norhouse right now to try to find a way forward from this. I don't think they're at any like immediate danger of consequences, and I think, especially given their time zone and and their size, I don't expect them to like get a blood in the water invasion like you might have seen Fire have in, in, in the past. We've talked about it, but it's not great. Um, I think if you're Pandemic Legion, you've got to reconsider the value that they're actually bringing to you. And it it could potentially complicate that relationship because Frat does demand quite a bit from them. Um, Maybe Pandemic Horde starts seeing them as not quite worth all that. Maybe that causes some friction. 
Yeah, I, I heard something recently uh, as an idea, you know, that um, for Horde, Fraternity was um, a very useful um, useful ally because if Horde ever got invaded, theoretically they could just change a lot of their timers to Chinese time zone and have Fraternity keep them safe in that regard. Um, you know, almost like an insurance policy. I mean, it doesn't look like that would be that wise anymore if that was, you know, the case. Uh, not a sound investment. I think there are plenty of reasons for Horde and Fraternity to want to stay on good terms with one another. And in fact, one of them being Imperium's willingness to come north and fight probably pushes them closer together than apart. It's just, I think, changes the dynamic of that relationship. And, you know, there's always the potential for, for personality conflict there. Can can Norals put some of the ego aside and, and, and be more of a equal partner, perhaps even recognize Gobbins as the, you know, the more important of the two in that relationship. I, I don't know. I don't know him well enough to say, but I do think it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that dynamic going forward. And be interesting to see what Imperium wants to do. If they, maybe they sense blood in the water and they decide to push forward, like uh, frat, potentially being lower on morale now than at any point in their immediate history. Is this the time that they push forward and try to go on the offensive? They've already proven they can break one Chinese time zone, keep star timer. Maybe they go for two. It's a bit of a gamble on their part, but I don't think they have tons to lose either because no one would expect them to win that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there's options, isn't there? You know, there would need to be a motivation for it. And maybe that's already the case maybe there is already motivation um there'd have to be a bit of an objective like let's get one more or let's get two more or something um there'd have to be you know some sort of cut off like you wouldn't expect them to carry on trying that for months upon months upon months um if they didn't get anywhere um you know is is it fun uh well yeah (laughs) it is fun um how long would it continue to be fun for how long would it continue to be affordable for? I don't know. And those are questions I don't know the answer to. Um, but overall, you know, let's say now, let's just say that Imperium decides that soon, and I'm not saying, you know, that that's now because it doesn't look like, but let's say they decide that, uh, that they've done what they came, came to do and they decide to pack up and go home. Well, two problems with that for me. One is that, um, you know, fraternity could just come and do it again. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, defend, uh, you know, structures being dropped in Chinese time zone and stuff, I imagine. Um, and two, you know, well, what would leave to do what? Uh, go home and crab? Well, you know, eventually, I'm sure they will, but maybe they're not, not quite ready for that yet, um, I would have thought. I mean, you know, it'd be a short deployment. It's not out of the question. It just doesn't seem like the most fun option. Um, and as long as there's money uh, to be spent and and motivation left and, and, you know, energy in the tank. I'm sure things will continue for a bit longer. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, but to do what again? I mean, if they're going to stick around, what will that be to do? Um, will it be just to cement everything as it is, go, gain a little bit more or do something more interesting, like you say, like uh, go for another keep start? I'll see. In other pandemic horde news... <laughs> <laughs> Um, they, they've had some hard times lately. 
Yeah. Uh, which one do you want to try next? <laughs> um, let's go with the ship's the ship's dying one first. Um, so yeah. Both of these stories involve significant levels of subterfuge, infiltration, um, this good old-fashioned Eve black spy stuff. But man, it is really unfortunate that it's happening to both of them at the same time. Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, trying to open up the battle report here. I want to get the the corporation right. It was a um a, a horde revenant, correct? I believe so. Yeah, because uh, at least it was part of the umbrella. <laughs> that you know that that um, protective umbrella there. Well. Deepwater hooligans got a got a plan in their minds to infiltrate Pandemic Horde and just Panfam generally with a wave of alts shooting for um, like corpse that offered um, capital incentive programs. Essentially, hey, we'll try to get you in a dreadnought really fast. So they they put the alts in. They try to take advantage of those um, uh, of those dreads, and eventually built up a pretty sizable dread cachet in and around Horde's main staging, largely paid for by Horde itself. But then transferred those dreads to better aligned characters, let's say. And they were looking for something to gank them all with, and they found a guy, Death Killer Twenty One who dropped his Revenant V-Rarish ship? Is that, is that true? It's up there. I, I, I didn't... I had to look it up. I mean, I'll be honest. It's not a name that I, I've heard very often. And I was like, what are they? Yeah, they're, they're faction titans. They're the true Sancha titans. You only get them by killing the mothership in the incursion. So you'd run an incursion to the point where a... Sancha mothership spawns, and then if you kill that, there's a chance that drops so the blizzard for this thing. Super carriers, right? Uh, they killed a super carrier as well. This is actually a Titan, I believe. The Revenant. I'm just looking it up now. Where is it? Oh, I mean, I'm a fucking idiot. It's been so long. Oh no, uh, you're right. You're right. It is also a super carrier. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, they're all supers to me. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's worth more than a Titan, I'll say that. Uh, it gets uh, Amar and Kaldari bonuses, 5% bonus to fighter damage, 5%, 5% to fighter explosion radius and velocity, which means that it applies its damage very, very well. It gets an additional 5% bonus damage for your Kaldari carrier skill, a 20% bonus to afterburner velocity, which is very Sancha. Uh, so it's speedy for a supercarrier makes it very difficult for dreads to track it and of course it has all of the uh the usual kit and caboodle you would have for a super so it gets bonuses to plates and extenders e-war resistance warp core stabilizer strength um very difficult to tackle very difficult to damage and like i said rare and full of green and purple modules Oh yeah, he was he was tricked out, and apparently he was just throwing this thing around because he was within that umbrella that that Zero was talking about—an area where Pandemic Horde and Panfam broadly thought that they had complete super capital and capital superiority. A Nix 
was running a beacon. The Knicks got tackled. Deepwater put bombers on it. The Revenant was part of a res- response and rescue fleet. This is after they had run extensive locator agents to make sure that the guy was around at the time. Once it happened, <laughs> they jumped their dread cachet into the super rescue fleet and started shredding it. Meanwhile, they got some of their horde alts to undock and bubble the undock of the main horde keep star so they couldn't jump any reinforcements in. Uh, so both the Revenant died and another officer fit supercarrier, the Vendetta, which is the uh, Serpentis supercarrier. Uh, it was just, it's just brutal. I've, the amount of isk, and I'm sure the trauma that has to be experienced. So did you, um, did you listen to the, the, the comms? No. Oh my. I didn't know we had comms. Yeah, so I, I'll describe it. It's not going to be a cruel report because I, I was very impressed. So, um, yeah, there's a video right in, in our Discord here. I, it, it's called, it's the one that's called Pan and Crab versus Dread Bomb by Global. Ah. Now that video contains the pandemic horde perspective. And I have to say, right, it's only about like eight minutes long or something. Let me just quickly check. Yep. Eight and a half. Yeah. Eight and a half minutes, right? So this is in real time, and if you watch it, um, very calm, considering <laughs> considering you've got, you know, like, especially when they say something like, the vendetta's going down, and, and the guy just stays focused, and he's like, right, do this, do this, do this. Now, in fairness, um, they wipe they wipe the field in the end. They lose the escort massively, and they lose these two t- um, sort of faction supercarriers, of course. You know, that that's the win for for uh, Deepwater Hooligans and Friends, that's the win for them. You know, that's what they went set out to do, and they were, I'm sure they were, were more than prepared to lose their entire fleet of dreads and stuff for that purpose. But in fairness, you know, the guy makes the call very early on. He's like, I need a Titan FC. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, the support comes, and they do, they do, in the end, it's like free fire on dreads or whatever. So, you know, I was very impressed with the whole thing. What what I was surprised at is at the end there's this like quiet lull and like everyone is, is sort of like reflective and um, there's not a lot of joy in in the uh, you know in the whole thing and I think what was a shame for me is you know if I was if I was running around in you know supercarriers even faction supercarriers routinely just dropping on stuff and being that you know super capital supremacy thing and routinely just wiping everything out, then, you know, and you lose two big ships. Well, you know, that's just, that's just collateral damage, right? That's just what happens now and again. I'll go, you know, I'll go one step further from that. If you're dropping faction super carriers on bombers, you deserve to lose mm-hmm. it. You yeah, are asking like, for trouble because you're swinging your EP around whether you need to or not. Exactly. And I, for that reason, I think that. I would have expected a little more joy at the end. Like, wasn't that cool, right? Because for me, listening to it, I thought it was so, so cool to listen to how, like, like I've, <laughs> I've never seen. I think that's shot in Freud. <laughs> I mean, it's like such a quick escalation. It's, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, and I think for me, it's something in the game that um, I shared it with friends who don't play the game. Yeah. And they shared something with me this week, friends who don't play the game, um, which you've put in our 
um, notes. So I'll come on to that later. But uh, yeah, there's been a few little things this week that have been kind of like newsworthy, should we say. And uh, for me, this is that one of those little things, one of those little stories. You've got a video from both sides. You've got a narrative from Deepwater's side. And you've got the option of watching um, Pandemic Horde like lose these things. It's cool. Well, as we've said, this was not the only bad news for Pandemic Horde on this show. Uh, before we move on, though, I want to mention that it's not just Deepwater, but about uh, one third of that fleet, give or take, was also our friends in Rogue Capel. Yes. I want to give a big shout out to those guys. Great kill. Yeah, I noticed uh, Asa can't got a mention um, somewhere along the line. When I was reading stuff, I was <laughs> something about local chat. Uh, yeah. Well, unfortunately, they also got about two trillion worth of stuff stolen from them. Uh, specifically, one corporation in Pandemic Horde. This is a story that made its way all the way to Ars Technica. So mainstream news. I also saw a link on Yahoo News. Yeah, I saw it on Games Radar too on MSN. Yeah, it's always good to get some Eve stories that filter out into the mainstream media. It always seems to be the theft and sabotage ones for some reason. <laughs> uh, was that and what was it? The one mil- one hundred thousand dollar fight that they were hyping up, or million dollar fight they were hyping up for ages that never actually happened. Uh. Uh, but this this was a, a cool story. Every once in a while, one of these will happen to remind people that the share feature exists in the game. Everyone in corporations take heed. If you're a CEO, especially, you have shares. Your corporation has shares. Shares can be used to change the CEO as well as to do various other things like lock and unlock blueprints. If you have given your shares to anyone, or if they're sat waiting to be taken by someone, please, please, please take the time to withdraw at least 50%, if not all of them, and just put them on your own character because it is a problem and this is the potential result. Somehow, this guy got a hold of a significant number of shares for this uh, pandemic word corporation and decided to choose evil that day, or choose violence, I guess. Uh, the guy, Flamhill, mm-hmm. and the target was Event Horizon Expeditionaries, about a 300-person corp, founded in 2011, currently in Pandemic Horde. He settled on using it as a target. I'm not sure, it's not really included how he got a hold of their shares in the first place, but he had enough of them to do it. He knew that their leadership was AFK, so he tried inserting some characters into their corp. The characters eventually got accepted, and they gradually... um, I don't know if he somehow got the character with shares in or if he transferred those shares to a character that that did get in. But either way, uh, triggered a vote. Actually, I don't even think you need to be in the corp for it. Just triggered the vote for a new CEO. Once you do that, you have a 72-hour window. The key to the feature is you don't have to have 50% of the shares one way or the other. You have to do 50% of the shares that vote. 
So if in that 72-hour period, no one else with shares votes to keep the current CEO in, the person trying to change CEO will win. And sure enough, for three days, nobody noticed that this vote was happening. And so eventually, Flam's uh, scheme was put into effect. He got a new CEO, one of his character, and they proceeded to strip that corporation of absolutely everything. Uh, about $130 billion in raw ISK, uh, ships and citadels worth about $2 trill, roughly estimated $22,000. Amazing. That is crazy. I really want to know how he got those shares in the first place. Was he a former member of that corp and they were like handing them out like candy? Was it a, a director that screwed them over somehow? I, I want to know. Yeah, I mean, was it recent? Was it a long time ago? You know, I, it could have just been one of those things, uh, you know, take the shares when the thing is small, vulnerable, and and then sit on it for six years and then capitalize. I mean, or, or it could have been a case of like in the last two months, somebody high up got annoyed and upset or something and just slipped thousand shares out the back door. Well, one thousand shares is a, a pretty sizable number. Uh, they noted in the Ars Technica article, but that just happens to be the number of shares from when a corporation is founded. Mm. is i mean they could always have created more later so that's not definitely a guarantee by any means but if it was a long game then you know you're waiting for that time when the leadership is going to be so afk it's going to make your chances of success you know maximized isn't it um but if it's if they're that afk then that could have been any time recently in the last little while um maybe it was more of a you know well somebody speculated somebody perhaps had bought a character then a character transfer and, and just happened upon these shares I, I i suspect it was more instrumental than that i think there was more planning and subterfuge going on than that i don't think this was an incidental accidental event i think this was uh you know theft <laughs> planned out it could definitely have been a, a character purchase. That's that's absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. um, it could have been the maybe they had a CEO that founded the corporation, did exactly what I said, pulled the, the shares to his character, and that character got sold. Yeah, and maybe that was like this, their security for their corp. Like, oh, I've taken the shares. Nothing can be done with those now, and then forgot all about it, and it got sold. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's we may never know. Yeah. yeah. Well, nobody's telling. Mm. That's uh, that's super cool. Uh, I wonder if this will encourage CCP to do anything with the shares feature, if they, they like it the way it is. There's always been a desire to have an EVE stock market of sorts, but obviously being able to do things like this with shares makes it wildly impractical. I, I just think it encourages... Um the shares to remain in place, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the thing that um, got shared in my, you know, group of friends. Um, you know, my friend who's really into games, into games journalism and stuff, he posted it, 
saying, hey, look at this. Of course, to me, then, it was it was old news. I knew about it four days before that. That's always weird when I get friends that don't play EVE linking me articles about EVE. That's when I know that something noteworthy has happened, like truly noteworthy, because they would have no, it wouldn't be on the radar otherwise. It's like, oh, my God, Greg, did you hear about this? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, our last bit of updates around the Panfam Frat Imperium Brave Volta War. Noir's role in all of this. Uh, we're still in contract in the Geminate Vale border area. It's been going quite well. Uh, we have been drawing absolutely insane amounts of attention from the locals. No visual, Sons of Bane in particular. Uh, Azure Citizen a little bit. Blades of Grass, not so much. Uh, fraternities definitely sent some fleets our way. Um, those have been the main groups that we've run into. They have been sending, within minutes of us entering their space, fleets of dozens of pilots to chase out our small roaming gangs. So definitely less than 10 people. It's It's been instant on a hair trigger. Um Got to the point where we couldn't even realistically roam that space anymore, but we were, we were quite happy about the response we were getting. So we'd do other things, like throw up a bubble or uh, something like that. Things changed a little bit when we noticed a... And this is my host highlight for the show. We noticed some Pocos that were coming out of Reinforce in our low-sec staging system of Yurgrana, which is one of the entry systems adjacent to Gemnet. There were the Poco, there are a number of Pocos. They're not really held by anyone you'd recognize. A bunch of holding corps. Could be owned by anybody. <laughs> they uh they were under attack. We weren't quite sure by who. But you know, we're always up for a fight, so I was like, alright. Um let's just form up and we'll see who turns up. Maybe it's somebody we can fight. Maybe we third party it. You know, whatever. Let's just have a little fun. Because it's right where we're at. We don't have to go anywhere. So who does turn up? Just Let It Happen, which is a very small Winter Co. alliance. Might even be paying rent. Not sure. Well, they turned up with a pretty sizable fleet of attack battlecruisers, taluses, and oracles, backed up by a anti-frigate crew of, like, Five, six Algoses and some Caracals. Pretty, pretty nice. So we're looking at that and we're like, we're salivating. Like, oh, this could be cool. Um, we just happened to have a stack of 15 Tyrannuses that we had used to attack a T3 fleet before. And I'm like, all right, a grind fleet like this, they're going to go through a couple Pocos. They're probably not fit. For serious PvP, they're probably all fit for max damage, not a lot of tackle, not a lot of tank. They might even be polarized. And those polarized oracles and taluses are not going to hit Tyrannuses burning in on them. Like, there's just no way it's happening. Mm. So, we all get in on them. We're like, all right, we're, we're ready, we're ready. As it as we're about ready to undock, somebody calls out that they've tackled a Vedmac in AD Dash, which is the Geminate system next door. So as we undock, we stop aligning to the, the T3 fleet. We go over there instead, and we go and kill that guy. That was 380 mil. And we're reapproaching the gate like, okay, let's let's do it for real this time. 
they had successfully killed the Poco, but hadn't left yet. So we warped in on them, and is exactly as we um, as we wanted it to be. The call was to go after the Algoses first. Obviously, they are destroyers. Destroyers are anti-frigate, and so they had to go. They needed to be the first things to die, or we were going to lose more ships than we really would have liked. So we hop in, we go, we land. It's all good. We try to go for the Algoses. We don't actually get one. They shred us pretty fast. I warp out successfully and immediately call everyone else to get off in the field because they were actually far more on the ball than we expected, but no tackle. Unfortunately, we did lose a Tyrannus on the exit. Not to be deterred. I'm like, all right, that, that plan isn't working. Let's go. I forget. Somebody made the suggestion to go with our Omen Navy ships, which we've been using hmm. in the um, in the faction warfare battlefields feature. They're very fast. They have incredible range projection. They're very similar to the old armor hacks, if you remember those zero. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the, the sniper hack. Actually, not armor, excuse me, shield. The shield sniper hacks. Yeah. But they are armor. I think they have about 150k range, go about 2400 meters a second. Not too yeah, bad. Yeah, right. Yeah. Of course, the, the tank is shite, which is the reason that it's not the old hacks. But they're very cheap still. It's like less than 100 mil to replace one. So we pile in a couple of those, five or six of those, and we warp in at range. And the idea is let's clear off the Algoses far outside the range that they'll be able to hurt us. Battle The battle cruisers they're all probably short range for grinding, so they're not going to be able to bother us at that range. And then we'll try to clear off the anti-tackle so that we can put interceptors back on the field and tackle the good stuff. Works like a charm. Uh, we clear off a pair of Algoses before their entire fleet warps off. Not great kills, but more than made up for the Tyrannus that we lost. But that's not the end of the story. We wound up engaging this fleet no less than four times. Like four and a half times, really. <laughs> The next step is like we're waiting for the next Poco to come out. I think it's got about an hour. So they're like, hey, Aikyo, is one of our directors. Let's put a Poco down because they haven't replaced it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so we warp. We get a hauler in. It, it has a Poco in it. We warp it there. We're about to start anchoring. When they start, they notice it. They warp some of their Algoses onto it. So we warp it off. It was untackled. We warp our fleet back on. And now we're killing Algoses, we kill a Talos, we killed the Caracal, we killed an Oracle, we killed like five, six ships off of that fight alone. This time we do have an interceptor on field, Celeste, who's my shout out for this show. Flying immaculately, somehow he is out kiting all of these Algos drones, which should not be possible. And he's keeping point on stuff, and we're just bringing it down ship after ship after ship. Eventually, he does get popped, and that's when they disengage. But man, they paid for it. They paid mm -hmm. for it big time. But it's not the end. Like I said, we go back in, and then we're going to loot. They warp their fleet back to try to stop us from looting. We kill another ship, and they warp off again. Now they're they're very frustrated. Now they're asking for some help. Uh we they try to shoot the other Poco that comes out. We engage them again. We kill a Caracal. 
At that point, they ask, I think it was no visual for assistance. No Viz puts a 30-man fleet into the system, but crucially does not position it in all the right places. They try to shoot the, uh, the Poka that's come out of Reinforce while anchoring their other one. And so the fleet is split up, and they don't balance the fleet properly, so we ship back into the Tyrannuses that we were in the, the first place. And we go in and we dive onto um, uh, onto the anchoring one. Most of that fleet warps off, leaving the Caracal to die. We we nearly caught some more ships as well, but the Caracal just gets shredded. He's not really able to do much to defend himself. At that point, we even have uh, a little bit of light logi in the situation. I think we had a scalpel or something like that, a Thalia. So we'd take that out, no problem. As the rest of their fleet lands, we all get off. We reship back into the Omens, and we go at it again. And we kill a Bifrost with the rest of their fleet just sitting there, hanging in the wind. They're all scattered. They have all these, all this firepower. They even have some Lodgy on the field, but none of them are in position. And this Bifrost is trying desperately to make something happen and get a tackle on one of us. He flies out too far. We overheat on him. He drops. And then at that point, they warp in some marauders and start jumping them around. And then we call it a day. A common end to many of these stories. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even then, like they had a paladin. We were dancing around the paladin. He was pulse fit. So we couldn't really hit out above 100. So whenever he landed, he would take our shields off and start chipping into armor, but we'd always be able to kite out before he could you know, realistically hurt us. Uh, I think all told over the course of, let's see, about an hour and a half worth of fighting, we killed 500 mil. Which doesn't sound like a lot, considering we just talked about stories of trillions of us dying, but fun for hour-wise, can't be beat. It was some of the most... Fun hit and run skirmish fighting I've done it forever, and some of the tightest, cleanest flying that Nar's done in a long time. Great communication, great tackling, good scouting. It was all there. You know, one of the things I notice about um being exposed to larger groups is there's usually only one FC. And that's odd to me because most of the groups I've flown with have had at least three FCs on comms at the same time maybe more. Um, so if you're in a situation where you have to like do two different things or three different things at once, it's usually fine. Um, obviously sometimes it's not perfect because, you know, people are not in the right roles or ships or whatever, but it sounds like there, you know, you, you had like one group with one FC and another group with another FC and, you know, they were doing all of the talking and, and that meant that like everybody else was just kind of following um, and not really sure what to do if they weren't on grid with the FC. Um, and, uh, yeah, a common problem I, I found, um, you know, and, and in a small gang, of course, most, most people who fly can FC. So not, not a problem for you. No, not a problem at all. We, when I was definitely FCing, but it was, it was less like a anchor up everyone, just orbit me, I'll deal all the flying kind of thing. And it felt a lot more like a less than 10 nano gang fleet, even though we were flying sniper ships where we, when we, I was calling the lines for sure. 
but people were definitely flying their own ship. Didn't need me to handhold them very much. Um, Celeste was tackling things, telling us what he had pinned down, and then we would shoot it, or we'd shoot something that was trying to bother him, or we'd shoot something that was out of position. People were calling out things coming and going, uh, you know, calling out if something got pointed and we could turn in on it, if, if they were taking too much damage, if there was something in micro-jump range of another player who might not have noticed it. All those communications were happening in real time, but not in a way that was ever chaotic or people talking over one of each, over each other. It was really fun. I think it's an ideal opponent, isn't it? The, the opponent that is less organized than you, um, hasn't got Vargas out already or Paladins, um, you know, is is undocking in T1 stuff. Um, perfect for you, really. And yeah, n- not something you see that often anymore. I think, you know, a lot of people are just... You know, I don't know what, what what were they trying to do with those pokos. You know, if you'd shown resistance um, at the very beginning and not gone after that vedmac, then would they have even bothered with the poko in the first place? I don't know. It's a good question. I feel like they might have because they they seemed quite committed. Uh, I didn't factor the vedmac into our total is kill. It would have probably been closer to nine hundred mil then for everything together. I th- I'm not sure if he was with them or just some random guy, totally unconnected to that fleet. We happened to catch um but either way <laughs> it's a, a pretty good turnout for an hour and a half uh small gang fighting with mostly tech one shit yeah and i think again going back to that difference in style of fc and things you know in the small gang you've got tackler saying i have this tackled and then and then people say we will shoot that then whereas in the larger groups uh, or the less organized groups or the ones that rely just on the one fc kind of style it's more like FC decides what you're going to go and tackle and shoot. Um, and it might not be the, the optimum target for the tackle to go for because. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would, uh, I would try to like give some guidance. I think the difference is it's almost more of a suggestion from the FC. You're giving guidelines, like try to pin down one of the battle cruisers. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying which battle cruiser. I'm not saying like definitely go for it. I'm just saying like look for an opportunity to get one. And so Celeste will be flying around, and he'll be pointing Algos's. He'll be pointing Caracal, whatever he can get his hands on safely. But he is trying to look for that opportunity to snag a Talus, snag an Oracle, and when it happens, he'll call it out, and we'll switch over to it and kill it. Or I might do the opposite. I'd say let's focus on the. The Algoses for now. Let's focus on the Caracals for now. Leave the battle cruisers, and he knows to not even try for that necessarily. But it's it, you're right. It's less like oh, I we need to primary this guy, and then primary this guy, and primary this guy, and tacklers suicide themselves trying to hold point on the target. It's definitely not like that. And you know the um, the really good medium size and large fleet FCs will. We'll do it. We'll do the same thing. They'll they'll give guidance. They'll say, "Dictas head towards X. Get bubbles on something. You know, um, small tackle. Go and do. Go in this direction and try and do this. Just general instructions. Tell me and ask for feedback. You know, tell me what you get point on. Tell me why you get bubbled. Um, tell me what's happening. And it's a conversation. There may be 150 people in fleet, but there might be five people talking. Um, and it works really well. So it still feels like small gang, even though, um. I think the small gang style is is still really effective in large fleets if if uh, it's a skirmish that's going on rather than like you know a, a, an overwhelming blob kind of thing going on. 
and you'll see calls like uh, spread tackle um, or, you know, uh, approach this target or um, approach this uh, section of the fleet rather than, you know, anchor up on me, shoot what I, what I broadcast. Mm-hmm. Well, we still have a little bit on this contract to go, so I won't give a, a full wrap up, but so far it's going great. Um, just a nice breath of fresh air to have a fun contract like this after fighting in the war zone for such a long time, both on and off contract. Getting back into Nelsec has been a lot of fun. You've had plenty to uh, keep you entertained in Losec as well, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the war zone's been great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're currently backed up into a small handful of systems that Kaldari Militia has been relentlessly pushing. Um, Fleet and Hadalees are still up and available. Excuse me, still up and uh, defended by Galanti Militia. There are a couple systems that are more available for Calmel to attack that probably will not get as as robust a defense, but, um, you know, places like Ugali's and, and some of the systems a bit closer to Syndicate are getting pushed as well. But Kaldari's progress has slowed there. And in fact, Galenti Militia retook a system, which is we haven't done in quite a while, a surprise mm-hmm. counteroffensive from Sedition and FPD, capturing Erinaco. Always good to see. Of course, we're not the only war zone in town. If you want to see what's going on in the Amar Mimitar front, check out Reddit for some mercilessly funny MS Paint propaganda capturing the key events in the Amar Mimitar war zone. Uh, they are absolutely hilarious. Great propaganda, Mimil. I find them very funny. I just, I think I'd find them even funnier if I could understand half of what was going on. Right. <laughs> I mean, we're in faction warfare. We're not in that faction warfare, so we don't know. Like the war zones are fairly isolated from one another. Um, maybe it's not the case if you're a little more plugged into the community as a whole. But yeah, you you just don't know who's who necessarily or what the key events are because there's not a lot of cross pollination there. But it, I could get the gist, and it's pretty good. I, I mean, the memes lately, the, all the different posts and things um, on our Eve have just been so... Like, if you think it's so refreshing compared to 12 months ago, right? Like, all it was 12 months ago was was um, how many sub, uh, accounts people were unsubbing and, you know, how the, the predictions for how many minutes the servers would be up for um and all of that negativity and, and like now it's just back to when, when i started playing the game which is you know my side's better than your side and um you know our 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 gameplay is better than yours and um and uh you know what you're doing is bad for the game and what we're doing is good for the game and and we're going to blow you all up and and cats and other things well Sierra, do you have a host highlight you'd like to share well most of my time, I mean, in game. If you if you think in terms of percentage, has been <laughs> <laughs> has been waiting for your actions to happen. Yeah, it's been in X forty seven. You know, uh, even those fleets when I've been a lot of the time in in the adjacent systems, um, it's still my heart has been in X forty seven. And um, you know, I I just feel like I know that system so well now. You know, like I've seen it in slow motion. <laughs> uh, Scenery. It's it, it's definitely, I said this last time, I'm sure, but it's definitely my highlight, you know, being in those massive, massive battles. And um, 
you know, I was I was there for the kill as well of the keep start, and even though it wasn't um, it wasn't defended, it was still lots of fun, and we still managed to kill people around around and about. Um, it, it felt like an accomplishment. Uh, it was just the kind of thing you read about, and the kind of thing that gets you into the game, and you're thinking, oh, one day I might be involved in something like that, and it was that kind of thing. So yeah, and and for me, being able to like kill loads of stuff in tie-dye that was um not the first time i've done that but it was definitely a bonus i mean we were like catching like carriers and stuff that were like in deep oh, wow. space you know just they might have been like log offs or um uh, disconnects or whatever and uh yeah we would like small ganging carriers and stuff it was it was very cool oh that's awesome i actually used my carrier in anger uh, actually oh, wow. not my not my host highlight. If anything, is a host low light. <laughs> but I'll tell the story since it's coming up. Yeah, we. Uh, so no visual has this multi boxer. I don't know which character is his main, so it'd be pointless to say. But he runs with about five Ishtars that are slaved together. They are faction fit, extremely well tanked, and as a unit, that is a lot of damage. They're never isolated from one another unless he has one out baiting uh, for ratting. All in the field together, that's a lot of damage. Trying to hold him for long enough to break him has been functionally impossible with normal ships. Mm. We've tried two Vedmax and Dictor. Um, we've tried Vedmac, Omen, something else. Got close, not quite there. So I was like, man, this is... Uh, this is some bullshit. All right. So he's he's got the five Ishtars, and he's I think they had a not a Gnosis, the bigger one. Praxis. Praxis. I had a Praxis there to try to bully things around with newts and such. And I was like, I was just getting fed up with it. You ever hit that point where you're like, all right, no more playing around. I went, this is all in AD Dash, so I went back to Yorgana with Alec. I got in my carrier that I had used as a suitcase to bring all my ships over. I undocked, warped to the gate, jumped through and warped to the anomaly that we had pinned these guys down at. We had a dictor who was keeping them bubbled. <laughs> I was like, all right, motherfucker. Let's go. <laughs> I threw the fighters on the Ishtar. Still couldn't break the damn thing. No way. <laughs> uh, we, we learned later he has like a Pith XL uh, shield booster on all of them. But yeah, just frustrating amount of tank. I managed to tickle his armor a little bit, but just couldn't do it. Meanwhile, the tacklers are getting chased off left and right. So I'm like, ah, uh, okay. And they're starting to like, we're starting to get some activity next door. They're starting to get dictors and things. I'm like, all right. They had a malediction or a stiletto try to tackle the carrier, which we cleared off immediately. But I got a sign that like, all right, things are getting a little too tense here. So uh, in shame, I recalled the fighters and jumped back out. <laughs> it's like the one time I've used that carrier to fight in like literal years. I can't even recall the last time. Uh, probably World War... No, maybe not even. Maybe World War B1. I remember vaguely using a carrier part of a null fleet where you're trying to like shoot it at specific ranges so the PDS wouldn't catch it. <laughs> clear something out. That was that was ages and ages ago. Definitely the first time I've used it against a ship, and I don't even know how long. Crazy. Yeah. 
I can't wait for carriers to to get a clear roll. I remember, you know, when I first started playing the game during, uh, it was 2020, and it was the summer, and I joined some small NullSec group um, that turned out that we, they were renters, I didn't know. And um, there was a couple of people there, and one of them was in the corp with me, and he was telling me all about the game and stuff. And um, he was like, oh, you want to go into a carrier for ratting? You know, carrier ratting is like, you know, the peak kind of risk to risk ratio around here. And he had a, a few of these things. And and then like a few weeks went by, or maybe even days actually. And um, the group I was in moved to a different place and he sold all his stuff. And um, I remember him selling it for like 800 mil fitted. Um, and that was kind of the going rate at the time for a, a fitted ratting carrier. And uh, I remember like making like 20 mil per tick ratting, thinking that's not that far away. That's, that's pretty <laughs> close. <laughs> and I recently trained a character into a carrier. And I think actually, if I check, I'm just going to quickly check. Is it is it fully trained into this carrier yet? Just to fly the hull, right? Not to um, not to actually use it in anger or even in PVE, but just to fly the hull. Bear with me. So now this character is is the same age as my main character because it's on the same account. And I've been multiple character training this character for most of the time that I've been playing Eve. <laughs> and let's have a look. Uh, no, it's still seven days away from being able to fly that carrier hull. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And then I can finally use it as, you know, a suitcase, as you say. <laughs> and it's it's good for that purpose. It's equally, I mean, any of the dreads and such are are better is just the carriers what I had handy. I wanted to keep the dreadnoughts home. I forget why. So I was like, ah, okay. Well, I'll just pick this one randomly. Don't even have any rhyme or reason to it. Didn't expect to actually use the thing. Yeah, and it's not because, you know, it literally takes nearly three years to train into a carrier. That's just nonsense. But more because, you know, I finally got around to, like, everything else I wanted to do has been done. So... I'm like, now getting to the point where, well, I may as well have an alt that can fly a carrier. Right, right. So that's why it's taking this long. But yeah, I, I mean, it's mostly for the purpose of transporting things. I think your, your dread is probably the best thing to have. Like, I think maybe going forward, I just use the dread. Or maybe alternate, like a fax is so cool. But a dread is versatile. It's It's good for just about everything. I'll have to look, you know, at what. That's my probably the reason are. I didn't bring it, because I didn't want to tempt myself to use it. I think <laughs> if I had a dread, I might be tempted to bring it out. A terrible idea. <laughs> Especially on our current contract. What a terrible temptation. Now before we close out, I want to give some shout outs to our Golden Elite supporters who have been with us since the beginning of this Patreon. Beta Trades, Kestrel Swainson, Crav, Mark Havoc, Tane Tengu, and Tweak. You guys are fucking awesome. Thank you so much. Zero, any shout outs? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I haven't had much like one to one interaction with anyone in Eve um, recently. I've been kind of more like uh, just a participant in the game rather than, you know, having too much one to one going on. But I think just as, as an observer, like the willingness for people to go out there and uh, lose capital ships um or put capital ships on the line is 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 helping me with my um 
optimism for the game going forward. And I think, you know, like, like I said, I'm kind of training a character now into capital ships and I'm like, you know, if it's okay to, to undock ca- capital ships in anger, um, soon, then I'm looking forward to that because, you know, the more people do it, the more, the more acceptable it'll be to occasionally lose a dread or a carrier. And I think that's only a good thing. So I'm just grateful for all the people out there who, who keep undocking and losing carriers and, and dreads and supers and things like that. I think we're kind of getting there with the dreadnought. Um, Siege Green Patch and the release of the faction dreads, I think, is, has moved it into that direction. They're so useful now, and people love the faction dreads, love how cool they are. You'll see them being used more on a whim because people universally see the value there, but they're not terribly expensive. Yeah. Sort of my read on it. It's not like they're super, super common, but you'll see a handful of them out there. And it's not, oh, why are you using that thing? Everyone gets why you're using it. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got like, I don't know, say you're 25 billion isk, uh, sort of liquidish, um, and you didn't want to like start a corp and, and <laughs> buy lots of structures and stuff, you know, what are you going to do with it? And, um, like, yeah, I think, it, you know, why not have a nicely fitted, faction dread to to have fun with if you can afford to replace it you know potentially yeah, exactly i myself have a faction dread i'm just uh i haven't decided if i want to wait till i lose my current dreadnought or if i just want to move the fit over and go from there so i will accept audience feedback on that one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I got a phoenix navy issue because um, I've really enjoyed having the Phoenix. Phoenix is so far, I've, I've tested most of the dreads out. I think for how I fly and how I'd like to use it, the Phoenix has been the best. And the Phoenix Navy is just a more pimped version. You could always just fly the Phoenix until, you know, until you lose it and then replace it with the, the Navy. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. So then I've got to, like, ship in all the parts. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And if I do strip it, then I just have this random unfit phoenix sitting around. Yeah. I'll probably wait till it dies. I'll be waiting a while. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually used that. I've used the dread quite a bit. I've actually reinforced structures with it on contract in NullSec before. But it somehow survived the experience. I can't explain it. <laughs> All right, everybody, that's it. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll. Leave a comment on our YouTube. We've got tons of show highlights in there as well as some PvP videos. Noir Recruitment is back. We just had our first NELSEC contract in a while, but I've already got another one, potentially two, lined up in pretty short succession. So this is a, a very booming time for the mercenary industry this year. Great time to come in. Uh, we're not just mercs. We've also got faction warfare going as well. It's worked out great for us. The activity is high. The morale is higher. So if you're looking to make the jump and try Noir out, this is the time. We hope to see you. Come hang out with us in Cafe Noir Dot. You'll find a link to our Discord there, and we can answer any and all of your questions. Wherever you are, whichever sides of these wars you're fighting on, good hunting, listeners. <laughs>